you are more than just a fan. A fan just watches from the sidelines. A fan is late to the bandwagon and leaves when things aren't looking good. Not you. You will do anything and everything to help your team win. You proudly wear your colors at all times because you're not just a fan. You video just gets you pumped up. Uh, it's good to have you here today. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff in Life Church. Where I'm at the Germantown campus. Can we welcome our Appleton campus and online campus today? Got some family at the Appleton campus. Hi, Mom. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to be on my best behavior today. Uh, Pastor Aaron wishes you well. He wanted me to say hi. Uh, you may have already seen it on social media, but he's been uh, in London uh, this past week and weekend, and basically uh, part of his doctoral program um, requires a week at Oxford University, so kind of a cool deal, but that's where he is uh, this weekend. Uh, last week, we started a brand new series called More Than a Fan, and we've been looking at just a real simple concept that are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? And there's a big difference between the two. A fan is somebody who kind of just sits from the sidelines and admires, and a, a follower is somebody who's actively in the game, so to speak. And so I want to kind of pick up where we left off last weekend. And I titled this message, The Invitation to Follow Jesus. I want to talk today about the fact that every single person, at some point, if they haven't already, is going to be given an invitation to follow Jesus. And that invitation applies to every single person person. Uh, but before we get into that, I have to reminisce for just a minute because I, uh, a, as a child, it was very difficult. I remember being very difficult to entertain myself from time to time. I, I, I can't imagine if I would have grown up in today's culture and society, like just the fact an iPad, good night, you know how awesome that would have been on a road trip? Uh, or like a little gaming system. I mean, those were kind of like groundbreaking when I was a kid, and uh, they were pretty terrible, to be honest with you. Like, road trips, to me, were one of those times that was very difficult to entertain yourself. I mean, today, we have movie theaters on wheels, you know? Like, that is what your minivan is, and you would have, like, surround sound. I, I can't imagine going on a road trip where I can just w watch Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, all in a row. I mean, like, I can't imagine that as a kid, uh, road trips would have gone a lot faster. I remember when my dad tried to kind of like put a TV in our car, and it was like this 13-inch TV that was like plugged into the cigarette lighter, and it, he like built a platform, and it's like bungee corded down, and then re literally recorded movies from a VCR onto a video camera, and then it was like, pretty brilliant, and then took the video camera and plugged it in. We watched movies that way, and I remember thinking in that moment, we are rich. Like... <laughs> This is awesome. Um, very illegal, though, what we did next. We took out a seat and put in a mattress and drove to Florida uh, that way. And so anyway, Dad, that, might, that would not have been a good thing in today's society. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. Um, I say all that because like, we'd have to get real creative back in the day on how we entertained ourselves, especially on road trips. So we would make up, uh, or, or you'd play these little games that somehow sprung out of a boring road trip. Games like Slug Bug, remember that? You literally see a Volkswagen Beetle and punch your sibling as hard as you can. 
that's not a game. That is assault. Like, that's not, that's not cool. Or, or we play, like, the license plate game. Remember the license plate game? Uh, that's a really fun game through the first 30 license plates. And then it's like, does anybody live in Wyoming? What is, like, we can't find it. Or, uh, just word of advice, if you see Hawaii, start the game. No matter where you are, start the game when you see a Hawaii license plate. Um, we would also play uh, games like, this is a game that you don't have to play in the car, but it seems like it's, it's in any other setting you would never play it because it's so dumb. Simon Says, what a stupid game. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, Simon Says to me is not, that, that is not a game. That is a test of endurance. Like, it is like a staring contest. I, I actually was pretty excited when I got out of the game. Like, when I'm eliminated, thank God. I don't have to, it's just stressful, and it's exhausting. I'm not a big fan of the game, uh, Simon says. And, and it really has, like, it doesn't feel like it has a definitive end point. Like, I get the rules, but, like, it just goes on forever. Um, I think there's a lot of Christians, and myself included at times, that we have this mentality that we treat our walk with Christ, following Jesus, we treat like a game of Simon Says. We don't call it Simon Says, we call it Jesus Says. Jesus Says, do this. Jesus Says, don't do that. Jesus Says, read your Bible and pray. Jesus Says, don't look over there. Jesus sa- and we treat our walk with Christ like a game of Jesus Says. And I remember growing up, I didn't articulate it this way, but there were a lot of times where I fell into this category where I played this game of Jesus Says. And there were times where it was exhausting. There were times where I preferred not to be in the game, if I'm to be perfectly honest. Because it was a little easier, and it was less stressful. And then camp would roll around, summer camp, Bible camp, and I'd kind of get back in the game. And I'd, I'd get all excited. But then anytime I was in the game, I was very judgmental of those who were not in the game. Like, you should be playing the game. Why aren't you playing the game? What's going on? Why? Are you not in the game anymore? What's going on? Even though I'm thinking, I know life is easier not in the game, but why? You should be in the game. It's a lot of fun. I, I love this game. You know, like that was a lot of times how I acted growing up in, in church and so on and so forth. And Jesus, when he talks to a specific group of people, he's talking to a group of people who are Jesus says people. They're, they're called the Pharisees. You see them all over the New Testament. These aren't bad people. Uh, these are people that are trying to uphold you know, the law and scripture and teaching, they're trying to do the right thing. They're good religious people, but they're playing a game of Jesus says. And Jesus continually tries to kind of mess with them a little bit. He, he throws them off their game. He challenges them. He debunks this myth because he says, you know what, guys, it's not about playing a game of Jesus says. It's about relationship. And relationship is completely different than playing Jesus says. And specifically, there's a story in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 9. That's the only place in Scripture that we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 9. But in Matthew chapter 9, he talks to um, Matthew the tax collector, and he invites him to do something pretty radical. Now, just to give a little bit of background, uh, Matthew, again, he was a tax collector. What did that mean? That means that this guy was corrupt. He was not a good man. Um, in the Roman Empire, let, let's say the Roman Empire, just say it's like the state of Wisconsin. Um, as, as far as um, the fact that there's counties that make up the state of Wisconsin. It was a lot like that. There was, a, there was an empire, it was a big empire, but then there was these regions that were kind of divided up. And they would sell the right in a particular region um, for somebody to collect taxes in that region. So it was usually a very wealthy person. So they would literally, people would pay 
to collect tax. So the Roman Empire is making a ton of money off of doing it this way. And so they would, somebody would buy the right to collect taxes in Washington County or Outagamie County, and they would collect taxes in that region. They would then hire other people, just common people, to go be the people that actually go and collect the taxes. And so that's what Matthew was. He was collecting taxes on behalf of a rich person who was collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. And there were no rules. You could collect, uh, let, let's say the going rate was 50%. That's what you had to collect in that, in that area. Um, they might collect 70%. They, they would just up it and say, I'm going to take 10% for myself, and I'll give 10% to the rich guy who's given me this opportunity, and then the rest will go to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire knew this was happening and did not care. They just thought, you know what, as long as we're getting our cut, whatever. And so there were regions um, especially in Jewish regions, because um, they tended to get oppressed even more, um, that 90% of people's income was going to taxes. They were living on 10%. So you can imagine a tax collector who in, in this, this region was somebody who was Jewish, turned their back on their people, and collected taxes for the Roman Empire because it was very lucrative. They could make a lot of money that way. So I don't know what the equivalent would be in our culture today, but this is not a good person. Everybody hated tax collectors. That's who Matthew is. And Jesus walks up to him in Matthew chapter 9 and extends an invitation that is just absolutely shocking. Starting in verse 9, it says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. It's an incredible verse when you think about it for a lot of different reasons, and we're going to get into that a little bit today. But I have one point today, and this is my only point. I'm going to have a few things at the end, but just this is my only real big thought for the day is simply this. The invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone and everyone. This verse should give us a ton of confidence that the invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone and everyone. Now, got to give a little bit more background of another thing that's going on here because Jesus was a rabbi, which had a lot of significance. Um, the, the whole concept of somebody just going up to somebody and say, follow me, and then he drops everything and follow, that's a foreign concept to us, but that was very typical um, in rabbinical culture. That was systemic of how, you know, rabbis got, uh, you know, got disciples to follow them. Um, they call them Talmids, or we call them disciples. They, they would basically be 13, 14-year-old Jewish boys, essentially, that um, every rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, their goal was to try to get the best class they possibly could get. I mean, think of it like, uh, like a scout for a football team. Like, their job is to just assemble the most talent they possibly can, the smartest, the brightest, because they want to pass on their, what they would call a yoke, which was their teaching, their kind of doctrine. They want to pass that on to as many people as possible. And that's kind of how uh, every Jewish boy grew up wanting to be a rabbi. That was like the pinnacle. That was just, that's what you wanted to get to. But it was extremely difficult to become a rabbi. You had to be very smart. It's kind of like getting into Harvard. I mean, this, did, this didn't happen for everybody. I mean, if you don't have a 36 on your ACT or 1600 on your, you know, if you don't have a 4.0 GPA, there's no chance that you're becoming a rabbi. And there would be excruciating like interview processes that the, the rabbi would quiz the students. 
It'd say things like, okay, if you want to be a, you want to be a rabbi, you want to follow me, then recite the book of Genesis from memory. And there's 50 chapters. And like, this is a lot of content. Or they say things like, how many times is the word Lord used in the book of Leviticus? And put them on the spot. You got to answer that. I mean, it was that type of process. Very difficult to become a follower, a Talmud, a disciple. It was not an easy proposition at all. So that's, that's a little bit about what Jesus is doing here. So he's basically selecting his goal. Any rabbi's goal would be to select the best of the best of the best. And so as Jesus approaches Matthew, there's a lot of questions with that. One, Matthew is a grown man who's a tax collector, meaning he got passed up at some point in his life to be a follower. Uh, he wasn't the best and the brightest. Wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. I don't know. Like, he, he got passed up. Number two, he is not a good guy. He's a tax collector. He's corrupt. And so why is Jesus asking this guy to follow him? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And Jesus extends an offer. He, do, he doesn't say, hey, Matthew, if you just memorize the Torah, you have a chance to be a follower of mine. He didn't say, hey, Matthew, if you could just stop being a tax collector and just kind of clean things up a little bit. Come on, Matthew, get, get with it. Then you could be a follower of mine. He doesn't do that. He just simply says, follow me. It's absolutely incredible. And I believe that same invitation that he extends to Matthew, if he extended that invitation to Matthew, he extends that invitation to anyone and everyone. A no strings attached, there's no fine print, simply follow me. We keep reading in verse 10, it says this, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now that, that's even more unbelievable than the fact that he would ask Matthew to follow him is that he's eating dinner with him. And I like how it, the Bible says sinners and tax collectors. Like it breaks it up into two different, there's like two different categories going on here. There's sinners, but then there's tax collectors. And that's even worse than just being a regular old sinner. Uh, but he's eating with this group of people. Uh, this is completely taboo. This is not appropriate for a rabbi not only to ask somebody to follow him who's a tax collector, but, but eating, eating with like this whole clan of sinners and tax collectors at their house. Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? We keep reading verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, again, that, those Pharisees, that's our group of Jesus says people. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I think what they're really asking there, it's not so much why, why is he eating with those people, it's why is he not eating with us? Like, what have we done wrong? We are trying the very, like, we're trying to live out the law, we're trying to, like, we're, we're good people, what, why is he not eat with us? It's kind of like the second son in the story of the prodigal son. All these days I've slaved for you, and yet you never throw a feast for me. Like, what have I done wrong? I never left the house. That, that's what's going on. Here, And Jesus answers that question very directly. In verse 12, he says this, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we know that Matthew heard Jesus say this because this is Matthew's gospel. Matthew's writing this. Like he was a, an eyewitness account. He heard Jesus say, Hey guys, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And I have to imagine, we don't know exactly what happened, 
But if you're in Matthew's shoes, you're hearing that, you're saying, Jesus, you just asked me to follow you, now you're calling me sick? Come on, what, what's going on here? And I don't know how Jesus would have responded. I don't even know if it was a conversation. But knowing how Jesus responds to several people throughout Scripture, I have to imagine he must have said something like this. Matthew, come on, man. You're, you're a tax collector. You're sick. Of course you're sick. Like, you're, you're not well. Do I need to, to spell it out for you? And I, I think Matthew would have said, okay, yeah, you're right. It's kind of, kind of offensive, kind of hurtful. But you're right. See, I think the point here is that the sick know that they're sick. We've been created in the image and likeness of God, which simply means when we deviate from that plan, when we deviate from God, when we sin, we know it. We know something's not right. Maybe we don't, can't articulate what's going on. There's something off. There's something wrong. But I don't know. I, we know that we're sick. This morning I woke up with a little scratchy throat thing going on, and I'm like, oh man, this thing could develop into something really, like you just know, matter of days, I'm going to be blowing my nose, all that kind of, like you just know when you're sick. You just know it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus gives us, in, in this passage of scripture, he really gives us the answer. He says, if you know that you're sick, here's the answer. Here's, here's the antidote. Here's the solution on how to get well. It's simply to follow me. Verse 13, he kind of throws some punches now at the, at the Pharisees a little bit. He says this, but go and learn what this means. Saying go, he's saying to a group of people who have studied their whole life, they know the Torah inside and out. These are people who have learned, like they know what Jesus is taught, like they are a learned group of people. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, saying, as if to say, guys, I know scripture too. I've memorized it all. I know, like, big deal, you know scripture. And then he says, but I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He explains what he's talking about. I've come for the sick. I have not come for righteous. I have come for sinners. And he's, asked, he, he's saying to the, the, the Pharisees, hey, guys, I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much scripture you have memorized. Are you bringing other people to the table? Are you extending this invitation to other people? Are you eating with sinners? Are you coming alongside sinners and giving them the, the same hope that you have? Are you, are, are you doing that? See, as a church, I, I think it'd be a very tragic place to get to where we don't hear about people who are far away from God coming to faith in Christ. You know, Pastor Aaron talked about it two weeks ago. He, you know, remember the chair, uh, the table illustration? He talked about the red chair. He said that every healthy church has people who are sitting in the red chair who have yet to come to faith in Christ. Maybe they're far from God. Who knows? But the day we stop having people sitting in that chair is the day that we are off mission as a church. Let us never become that church. So what do, we, what do we do with all this? What, what do we do with this story? How does this apply to us? And I think it applies differently depending on where you're at. And I think there's two groups of people. There's people who have accepted this invitation to follow Jesus, and there's people who haven't yet. And maybe there's a gray area somewhere in there. Maybe it's, man, it was a long time ago, but I'm not following, and I, I don't know. But they genuinely fall into one, or two, one of two categories. You're either following Christ or you're not following Christ. And I want to 
give you a couple things just based on which group you're in. First, I want to talk to those who are maybe yet to, to follow Christ. Maybe you haven't accepted that invitation yet. You, you, if I were just to ask you, are you following Christ or not, you would just simply say, no, I'm not. Let me give you just a, just a few things of encouragement today. This story, first of all, should, get, should be very encouraging to you. And in just a moment at the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you'd like to begin that relationship and initiate and start following Christ today. That can be something that happens today. We're going to give you an opportunity uh, to do that. So maybe be thinking about that. But first of all, in this passage of Scripture, we see that being a sinner is a prerequisite to following Jesus. Oftentimes we think, being a sinner it disqualifies you from following Jesus, but every single person who follows Jesus in the Bible is a sinner. It doesn't disqualify you. It's actually something that is a prerequisite. Matthew, what's interesting here is Matthew is still a sinner when he follows Jesus. He's still a tax collector. Like, he, he hasn't repented. He has, like, there's, there's not this 180 turn, it's as if to say, and, and we find out later that he does do that. He does put his faith in Christ. He does believe that Jesus is the son of God. He actually is, a, is martyred. Like he's somebody who very much believes and repents and goes on the straight and narrow, but it doesn't happen right away. It's something that is a process for him. The second thing is unbelief does not disqualify you. Um, we... The fact that there's a, a disciple named Thomas that we know as Doubting Thomas should, should give us a lot of confidence that we too can have moments. We're not sure. We don't have it all figured out. We got questions. There's moments of unbelief that are going to creep into the life of anybody who's following Jesus. That doesn't mean that, that you're not following him anymore. That just means, man, I just, I don't know. I'm having a moment of weakness. I'm having a moment where I'm, I'm not sure about this. Many of the disciples, it's a couple years into following Jesus before they truly believe that, they're the, that he's the son of God. That's why Jesus continually is asking them questions. Who do you say that I am? He's continually kind of poking at them a little bit. Do you, do you have faith? And there's moments where some of the disciples turn their back a little bit. And yet every single one of them at the end of the day is completely devoted to following Jesus. And every one of them, except for one, ends up being, a, being martyred for their faith. And the last thing is this, an invitation, it's an invitation to relationship, not rules. Jesus is not inviting you to a game of Jesus says, he's inviting you to relationship. It's a big difference between the two. Um, it, it be, it just, who here is married? Raise your hand, okay. A lot, lot of married people in the room. What if you, uh, as, as somebody who's married, you had a little card that had like the marriage rules on it and you laminated it and got it all nice and whatever. You put it in your back pocket, you carry it with you wherever you go. <laughs> you, this would not go well with me. Uh, but you can imagine taking that card out every day and just saying, okay, here's the, here's the list. This is what I'm supposed to do as a, as a good husband, a good wife. This is, this is what I'm not supposed to do. Make sure you never do that. Make sure you do this. And, and just every day I got to make sure I'm doing that does not guarantee that you're going to have a good relationship. In fact, you can make a strong argument that it will not go well with you. Like that is not a good recipe for relationship. It's about relationship, not rules. Secondly, I want to talk to the group of people who um, you're a follower of Christ. 
And maybe there's a definitive moment that you can go back to that says, this is the, this is the day, this is the time, this is when I, I made that commitment I was going to follow Jesus. For others of you, it, maybe it's not, you can't point to a specific time. Maybe it's just been a process and a journey. And somewhere over, the time, over time, you've kind of crossed that line of faith and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. Not, are you perfect? Not, do you be, like, have everything figured out doctrinally? And you're just, you know, but at some point you said yes to following Jesus. I want to give you just a, a checklist real quick. And we're just going to kind of go through this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Because I think it's appropriate we ask the question, how are we doing how, how am I doing, I think it's important to, to regularly analyze that and say, how am I doing in following Jesus? Because there's times where you're going to be doing better than other times. There's going to be times where your faith is a little stronger than other times. That doesn't mean that you've just decided I'm not following him anymore, but that means I might need to work on a couple of things. I might need to put a little more time. Because, see, there's no catch to following Jesus, but there is a cost. There's no fine print but there is a significant cost. We're going to talk a little more about that next week, talking about the cost of following Jesus. But let me give you eight things real quick. These are things that should be evident in the life of somebody who is following Jesus. And just ask yourself the question, how am I doing? One, you crave God's acceptance more than man's acceptance. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. We're not after man's acceptance, we're after God's acceptance. Number two, you actively share your faith in Christ. This is a huge one. This is a litmus test for all Christ followers to say, when's the last time I told somebody about my faith in Jesus? That's something that should be happening in the life of a Christ follower. Number three, you think more about eternity in heaven than life on earth. I'm not talking about somebody who just has their head in the clouds, you know, that they're, you know, no earthly good because they're all, you know, I'm talking about somebody, though, who makes decisions with eternity on mind. That changes the way it changes the way you spend your money. That changes the way you approach relationships. I mean, it just, it just does. Number four, you don't gauge your morality by comparing to others. Well, I'm not, I'm not as bad as that person, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a story in Luke chapter 18 uh, where it says this, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, saying, I'm, I'm not as bad as these people. That's not the gauge for morality. Number five, your decision to follow Christ has resulted in behavior changes. What are some behavior changes you can point to that says, I, I do this differently now that I follow Christ? Number six, you don't just turn to God when you're in a bind. I think this one's huge. So often, if we're not careful, we treat God like a toolbox and we only go to him when something's broken. But if everything's working, there's no need for that toolbox. That's not evident in the life of somebody who's following Jesus. That's something that we turn to God at all times, not when we're just in a bind. Number seven, you give financially out of obedience, not guilt. Obedience is the motivator for financially giving. Just because you're saying that's just what you do as a Christ follower. Number eight, people notice you're different than the rest of the world. You don't talk the same. You're not entertained by the same things. There should be a noticed difference in your life. So I think it's important we ask the question, how am I doing? And, and, and only you can answer that. How am I doing? Again, the, we're, not, we're not talking about perfection. We're not saying, are you perfect? We're just saying, are, are, you, are you following Jesus? 
are some of these things evident in your life? I'm going to close with a, a story out of Luke chapter 5. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story a little bit. But in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus calling three more disciples. You see, Matthew was called um, in our story today to be a disciple. That happened 11 other times with 11 other people. Who, and they were all similar. They were all not the best of the best. I mean, they were all grown men that uh, were fishing. I mean, that's what we see in this story here. They're, they're fishermen. They got passed up at some point to be a follower. They were not doing that. They were in their father's trade because that's what you would do after if you, if you didn't make it as a disciple, you would do your father's trade. And so that's what's happening here with Peter, James, and John in Luke chapter 5. They've been fishing all night. Um, that you would fish at night. The fish would come to the surface of the water at night. You would use nets and you would catch as many fish as you could and then you'd wait till the next night to fish again. You never fished during the day. That was never a recipe for success. And so Peter, James, and John, it's morning time now. They've just come in. They haven't caught anything all night. Just a terrible night of fishing. And every day, you know, you'd, in the morning, you clean the nets out, get all the seaweed out and the soda bottles and get all the j- junk out of there and get them and roll them up ready for the next night. And as they're doing that, Jesus is off in the distance over here, and he's preaching at, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's not, that's not uncommon. That rabbis would be, it'd be very frequent that they'd be going around and you'd hear a rabbi preaching to a group of people. So this is not weird. This is, this is everyday life. And so Jesus is over here doing this. Peter, James, and John, most likely, they knew who Jesus was. They respected him as a rabbi. Rabbis gained the respect of all Jewish people. I mean, they, they're respected people in society. They're kind of top of the, the food chain, so to speak, as far as respect was concerned. And so they hear him teaching this, uh, this group of people, and then they turn to, to, he turns to Peter and says, Peter, can I get in your boat? We're going to push off into deeper water and catch some fish. Odd. I mean, Peter is like, okay, this, this is strange. We just, we had a terrible night of fishing, didn't catch anything. Now it's daytime, the sun is out. You don't catch fish during the daytime. We've also cleaned our nets, and now <laughs> you want us to drag those out again? But he says something, and he, he, he says something that is um, pretty profound. He says this, because you say so, master, I will. He's calling him master because he's a rabbi, not because he sees him as Lord and Savior or anything like that. He's just, that's what you call a a rabbi. Because you say so, I will. Because I respect you as a rabbi, sure. So they get out into the boat, and you kind of maybe know the rest of the story, but they cast the nets and catch so many fish that day that the Bible records that their boats begin to sink. I mean, I think this is really where the term boatload comes from. I mean, they had a boatload of fish. And in that moment, Jesus turns to Peter, James, and John and says, hey guys, would you follow me? And Peter, James, and John, it's like a no-brainer. They're like, okay, if, that, if you can do miracles like that, that is ridiculous what just happened. And at first they try to resist. Peter says, I'm a sinful man. I, I can't follow you. And Jesus says, just follow me. As if to say, we'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> Just follow me. And I wonder what would have happened if, because yes, the, Peter was asked the question, do you want to follow me? And he eventually says yes to that. But before that, there's an opportunity to let Jesus into his boat. And I wonder how many people never take up that opportunity 
before they ever get to the following Jesus part, they, they just say, Jesus, no, I, I, we just rolled up our nets. We're done. Like, I'm tired. I respect you, but no. Peter in that moment did not know. He didn't know the future. He didn't know that he would become one of the most influential people to ever walk the face of this earth. He didn't know that there would be basilicas built in his name. I mean, he, he didn't know that he was going to be the leader of the New Testament church. He didn't know all of that. He was just a fisherman. But he said, because you say so, I will. He was skeptical. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he just says, because you say so, I will. And today, maybe you're here today, and I'd encourage you to just simply say, because you say so, I will. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical myself. I don't even understand how this is going to play out and work out and whatever. But I'm just telling you, as somebody who has said yes to Jesus and is trying to follow him as best as I know how, it is so rewarding to say yes to following Jesus. To say, you know what, I don't have it figured out, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to begin this relationship. And I'm just telling you, Jesus has an just has, has a way of blowing your mind when it comes to the life of a Christ follower. And so today, I, I think no matter where you're sitting, the question is, am I following Jesus? Am I following him? Not perfect, don't have it all figured out, but am I following Jesus? See, the invitation is for anyone and everyone. The only question is, will we accept it? Would you pray with me this morning? I said it earlier, but I want to give you an opportunity if you've maybe never begun this relationship with Christ to do just that. And so I just ask everybody have their head bowed, eye closed. I, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to point anybody out. This is a personal decision. And so, I, but I do want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. And there's nothing magical or mystical about this prayer that's just simply saying, doing what the Bible says, saying, confessing with our mouth, believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Bible says you start that relationship at that moment. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so without anybody looking around, I'm just going to ask, would you just slip up your hand and say, I want to start that relationship. I want to begin to follow Jesus today. Just raise your hand right where you're at. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? I saw a few hands. Anybody else? I'm just going to ask everybody, just out of support of those who have raised their hand today, they're making just an incredible decision, and that we would be supportive of that, and that we lend our voice with those who raise their hands and just pray this prayer together. And maybe you didn't raise your hand. That's okay. That There's nothing about raising your hand that's important necessarily. But if you just pray this prayer and believe it in your heart, the Bible says you will begin this relationship. So would you repeat this with me today? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that savior is you. I invite you into my life I want to be a follower of yours. I believe that you're the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died and rose again for my sins. Today I begin 
following you. Amen.